Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. So last week we covered religion, and this week we're going to cover the Habsburgs, aka the ruling family of the Holy Roman Empire. So just for important notes for, for everyone, there's two titles that I, that I need to explain. The first title is the King of the Germans. The King of the Germans was the official title of the prince, or I guess better, it's better to say the heir of the Holy Roman Empire. And above them was the title called the King of the Romans. We call them emperors, but their official title was the King of the Romans. It's a whole callback to they were the successors to the Roman Empire, that whole deal. It, it's a big thing in medieval Europe and early, in the early modern period and Renaissance. Another thing you'll notice in the, my description is that many rulers seem focused on increasing the family's holdings and wealth and power instead of the general, instead of making the Holy Roman Empire better off on a, as a whole. Just keep in mind that our concept of a country, a unified people, you know, I'm German, I'm American, that wasn't a thing. You were you were part of a family. You were part of a certain part of the country, what we call a country. Those came first. It was, like I described in the first proper episode, the Holy Roman Empire was pretty much broken up into several different ethnicities, different regions. So there was no unified whole. It was a confederation of sorts in terms of its ethnicity. So today, we're going to go over the general life history of the Habsburgs and the rulers, kind of as the focus. I might expound upon certain details based on that ruler, but the idea is I'm just going to cover the rulers and give you a general overview. I'm not going into specifics. If you want to look it up, feel free to ask me for book recommendations or look it up yourself. I would be glad to help. So, starting with before they became the rulers of the Holy Roman Empire, the Habsburgs roughly came into relevance around the 11th century or so, funnily enough, in Switzerland. They're one of the cantons of Switzerland, which, for people who don't know what that means... In the sort of 10th century, 11th century, Switzerland wasn't a country. It was a loose federation of sort of city-states and territories that sort of all came together for protection. They eventually sort of migrated to sort of what we know of them as Austria, but that sort of eventually came at the cost of they eventually lost their original castle in 1415. Up until about the 1200s, they spent their time consolidating and centralizing their power over what we call sort of Austria today. And in the 1200s, they came into political importance in the Holy Roman Empire. The first figure that we should, we should take note of is Rudolf I. Long story short, he doesn't have a lot sort of detail-wise that's relevant for this podcast, but what the important thing to note is he brought the Dukes of Austria under his banner through marriage and stuff like that, and eventually through proper marriages and stuff like that, the Habsburgs acquired all of the sort of claims and inheritance of the lands of what we call Austria. After him, not necessarily directly after him, but the next most important figure after him before they became the rulers of the Holy Roman Empire for centuries, was Rudolf IV, a.k.a. the Founder. The most important part about him was he created this concept of Habsburg greatness. The idea was the Habsburgs were destined for greatness. Think of, like, you know, your manifest destiny. It's kind of in that similar vein. A funny story was that they had a document called the Privilegium Maius, which was a sort of their mythical document that listed the privileges of the family and what they had, which the funniest part about it was, it was actually a document given to a family called the Babenbergs, but the family had replaced, forged it basically, and replaced the name and the seal and said, oh no, 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 this was given to our family. So technically they fabricated it, but it, it created a long-term cultural reach the Habsburgs were always going for. They were an ambitious family and they were always pushing for more power and influence. And they tried to gain that through using influence and political power over military force. They tried over the centuries to gain the crown of the empire. That all failed up until 1452 with Frederick III. 
Frederick III was born in 1415 and became king of the Germans in 1440. Overall, he wasn't a great ruler in terms of expanding the empire or anything like that, but what he was known for, at least in the family, was he was good at laying the groundwork for expanding the family's power with, within the political grasp of the empire. He secured a, a large territory through, through the Burgundian inheritance, through a marriage with the Burgundian king in 1473. By that, I mean he married one of his kids to, to one of his daughters. Burgundy is kind of like that south, southeastern area of France. I'll, I'll post a map to make it easier, but it was a small territory on the eastern side of France that was kind of sort of contested with the French monarchy. It was a big area that France and the Holy Roman Empire wanted. He also gained several territories on the Hungarian border. Basically, what happened was there was a whole fabricating claims and that sort of deal on the crown of Hungary. But Frederick III made a deal with the current ruler that he would give up all claims to the crown of Hungary if they would get some eastern borderlands. That was kind of his most successful in terms of territorial claim outside of Burgundy, but he also had issues running the kingdom sometimes. He was very much an introverted man and not a... He was not prone to taking the initiative. He was considered lazy and oafish by many nobility, although I'd argue that the way the structure of the Holy Roman Empire worked. It was very decentralized, a lot of power struggling between various people, so a hands-off approach would probably serve it fairly well. If you tried to put too much power, people would fight back, so there's no real winning or losing of that one. I think he was smart about that. He could have been, he could have been more proactive, but this is history. We can't go back. His other major problem was he did not run internal issues of the, of the Empire well, which would lead to a lot of rebellion, strife, chaos, several decades of conflict within the Empire, and that didn't get resolved until later in his life around the 1470s or so. However, he did one thing that many other nobility and other rulers had difficulty dealing with. He dealt with secession very well. He got his son named the King of the Germans through using his influence and reach to use the political structure of the HRE to make sure the Habsburgs held on to power within the empire and as, as rulers. He died in 1493 of health issues, which he lived roughly about almost 80 years, which, I mean, it's impressive today and it's fairly impressive back then too. Not a lot of rulers lived that long or ruled as long as he did. Next up, we have Maximilian I. He was born in 1459 and became king of the Germans in 1486. After that, he became the emperor in 1508, which that basically after his father died, there was, it was a lot of political BS, effectively. It took a while. He was effectively the ruler, but he wasn't entitled at that point. Some of his most important accomplishments were he acquired the Low Countries, which for those of you who don't know, that's the Netherlands, that's sort of the, basically the Netherlands, and sort of that, in that area. That would lead to conflicts into the future, but it was also could lead to a lot of profit. It was a volatile area. He also tried to reform the country several times politically and stuff like that. I don't have any specifics. He was trying to reform the empire, but there was a lot of resistance from other nobility in terms of their power, what they wanted, so nothing he could do really got through. He also married his son, Philippe, to Joanna of Castile. She was the daughter of Isabella, and through that marriage, they eventually claimed the rulership of Spain. His daughter, uh, Maximilian's daughter, after... Her first marriage failed and her, after her second marriage, where her husband died shortly afterwards, she refused to marry. And she became a regent slash sort of governor of, of the Netherlands, well, slash low countries, and became and became well regarded among the people there. She lived for, did it for about several decades or so. She's a very interesting woman. And his last final task, sort of, that he did was he got his nephew Charles V onto the throne of the Holy Roman Empire. 
in terms of outside of the direct rulership, around this time, the Habsburgs became great patrons of the art and especially of the many artists that left Italy during the Italian Wars, which was a big, huge mess and not going into detail here. If any of you want to know more about it, I'll gladly answer that question. But the other thing that of note was a lot of the Spanish gold, which we all know came from the New World, was enriched the Habsburgs as a whole. And seeing as the next ruler was the ruler of Spain and the Holy Roman Empire, was used in many projects, especially wars, throughout throughout the sort of next century. I haven't mentioned him specifically, but but he he was important to one thing I mentioned before. Charles V, born 1500 and became the ruler of the Holy Roman Empire in 1530, was a very important figure for the this era of Europe. He ruled over the Spanish and Holy Roman Empire, and had, there was holdings all across Europe. I'll post a map, but they were some of the largest landholders in all of Europe. He he was the man who dealt with all the Protestant uprisings and and, and the general start of the Protestants. Initially, through trying to do, through diplomacy, trying to get them to cooperate, but eventually he sort of sort of sided with the Catholics and used force to try and deal with them, but that turned out it didn't work well. He was also the origin point of the HRE's conflict with France, who began to fear the growing power of the Habsburgs as a family, especially after the acquisition of Spain, seeing as they would be sandwiched on each side by them, to the east and the south. He was also the man who was responsible for the Peace of Augsburg. He didn't necessarily write it up, but he was the one who was signed for the, for the Empire and that sort of deal. So he was very essential to trying to create peace within the Holy Roman Empire. One thing people could criticize him for was he was not interested in the new world in sort of in general he was more focused on european politics and let sort of america sort itself out to a certain extent although interestingly enough he actually did support the claims of uh people who were who spoke out against the spanish treatment of the natives or the cruel treatment of the natives to the hacienda system and stuff like and believe that they should be treated as people and not as slaves throughout his rule also styled himself as the new charlemagne which if people who don't know charlemagne is he was a he was the man who founded the holy roman empire basically he started the next biggest empire post the fall of Western the Western Roman Empire. So he considered he was putting himself up there with major figures. And lastly, he actually um, abdicated his throne in, in 1558 due, due to all of the political pressure and all the stuff that he had to deal with throughout his reign. This is very unprecedented in Europe. Most rulers would either would either die and leave sort of their heirs to take over or a secession issue, or in many cases, if the ruler lived long enough, he would gradually give more and more power to his heir to eventually the point of the son would be ruling, would effectively be ruling the country, but sort of in the name of his father. So by the time the father died, the, the son had already set up. After him, Ferdinand I, his brother, took over. He was born in 1500 and lived to about 1564. He ruled the empire from 1558 to 1564, and before that was the king of Bohemia and royal Hungary in 1526, and gained the crown of Croatia in 1527. Near the end of Charles V's reign, Ferdinand ruled, effectively ruled the empire in the name of Charles V. But before that, he most kind of was dealing with the eastern border which was the Ottoman Empire and that sort of deal. He ruled what we call Austria effectively in that time period. Around 1555, he, like I mentioned before, he took over his brother's role sort of in 1555 effectively as ruling the empire. And then after his death, after his brother's death, he ruled it from 1558 to 1564. One thing he ran into issues with was he dis disliked having to deal with the papacy and the Protestants. He was not actually strongly to sort of one side or the other. Both sides were acting belligerent and not want wanting to compromise, which he found eternally frustrating and eventually sort of gave up trying to create peace between them, at least 
the papacy and the Protestants. Many many people saw that as a weakness, but if you know a history then and what I've described before, you could probably understand why trying to deal with two religious extreme extremist movements were, or by him at least, would be something to not want to deal with. Eventually, he died, and before he died, he named his son Maximilian II onto the throne of the Holy Roman Empire. Maximilian II was born in 1527 and lived till 1576. He took over the crown in 1564. His biggest dream was trying to reunite the religious pluralism that was created through the Protestant Reformation. He tried to reconcile peacefully the two factions, but in the end found that he just couldn't. His last couple of years of rule were spent, he was tired and resigned due to his, lo- his solutions of trying to create peace between the two the warring religious factions as failures, effectively. And funnily enough, when he died, despite being a Catholic, he did not take Catholic rites. But it's just kind of funny that a, a Catholic would not would not take sort of his last rites and the like it before his death. After him, his son, Rudolf II, took over. He was born in 1552 and lived to about 1612. He ruled the empire from 1576 to 1612. Rudolf II was, especially in his younger years, a very willful man. He was unwilling to listen to advice, and did things that many of his advisors disagreed with, such as going back toward the Ottomans, who they had had a truce going for several decades, or at least a couple decades. Oh, uh, quick background, the Ottomans had been slowly making gains up the Balkans, and had been, and began clashing with the Holy Roman Empire about the territories, especially sort of bordering Austria. After about 24 years of his rule, around 1600, due to many issues that he just couldn't solve, or the mistakes he made, he had increasing bouts of depression and drinking when he sort of couldn't solve something. That is not to say he was insane or mad or anything like that, but he did not deal with failure well. The other thing he couldn't constantly fail that was, like there's going to be increasing pattern, the Protestants and Catholics could not see eye to eye on anything. There was constant conflict, and as I mentioned in the last episode, there was increasing militarization between them, which made peace harder. So there was a, a technically peace going, but there was also lots of skirmishes, just general nastiness to each other, and both sides could not, would not compromise. Sort of, the end of his rule came to a head around 1606 when, not a head but a start I guess, by his brother Matthias, M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S tried to take over the head of the family due to complaints about Rudolf not really running the empire by the end, by the end of his rule. That that failed. Unfortunately he wasn't really punished that harshly and eventually the crown of Bohemia was lost to, Ma- to Matthias in a revolt and Matthias became sort of the effective ruler of the empire and Rudolf II only really kept his imperial title as emperor, but he had no real other title to speak of. He died in 1612 of health issues, like many others, and we're not really going to cover Matthias because he ruled till about 1618, and he was honestly worse than Rudolph II and didn't really do much. But despite the lack of success among the later Habsburgs leading up to the war, as the decades went on, starting in, starting in the 16th century, the Habsburgs effectively make the HRE a superpower in Europe. They were feared by sort of neighbors, and despite the, like I said, despite the, the failure, they eventually became a superpower, especially when they were worked together with Spain, who were Habsburgs, just not under HRE's control, if that makes sense. So I hope you enjoyed this summary of the Habsburgs. It's a fascinating subject, and like I said, if anyone's interested in exploring more of it, I will gladly give book advice. I would write down the source of this episode on my website if you want to use it. Thank you for listening in. I just want to say, please spread the word if you enjoy this, and to anybody who think who you think would enjoy this. You can find me at 3decadesoftragedy.com, Facebook page of the same name, and wherever you, wherever you find podcasting. I, I will be posting the maps of the Habsburg holdings and other image, visual images that I think will be useful. Also, 
probably will be posting the images of the actual rulers so people can get a look at what at least what they wanted them to look like rate my podcast and send me reviews or if you don't want to send me a review on the podcasting location you can send me an email at three the number three d-e-c-o-t at gmail.com next week we'll be Finally finished with the preamble to the war. I will be covering the general state of military tactics and, and that sort of stuff next week. I'm, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. Hope you tune in next week. <laughs>